Welcome to the Giant Leadership Podcast, where we help leaders like you get the knowledge and skills you need to impact more people and live the life you've always wanted. Get ready to experience tools, tips, and advice by the co-founders of Giant and best-selling authors, Jeremy Kubacek and Steve Cockrum. Hey friends, welcome to the Giant Leadership Podcast. I'm Jeremy Kubitschek. As always, I'm here with my friend on the other side of the pond, Steve Cockrum. What's up, Steve-o? Oh, everything's wonderful, Jeremy. New year, new beginnings. Uh, only put on 20 pounds over Christmas, so the best I've had all for at least a decade. You know, do you think there's anyone who's ever thought like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to go down. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm just going to go up. Like, let's just go, right? Like, they're like yeah. elastic pants. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to look at um, how different voice orders approach Christmas. Because all on my conclusion is wherever you have uh, nurture guardians and guardian nurturers, they literally see it as their mission to lose weight over Christmas through this kind of almost refusal to engage in the overindulgence of anything appropriating like Christmas festivities. And then they kind of look down at people like me who appear to be enjoying myself too much. So I don't know whether any of that's true in your household, Jerry. I think I think it's funny. <laughs> I think I think it's also true. Like you think about New Year's and New Year's planning, and we have this joke in, in my house because I have a a guardian nurture wife, and it's she's joke. It's always talking about goal setting and goal planning, and yeah. but she's present oriented and I'm future oriented. And so it's always a, I'm, I'm contemplating the next years with all these charts and maps and you know, all this stuff. And then I'll ask her, so what are you thinking oh. about the new year? You know, it's, it's fun. We have a really good. I, I honestly think, you know, I don't know about you. I, I get greeted as this guru on leadership and we get invited to all these places to go and speak. And actually what you realize is most of the, almost all the stuff we've created over the years have been, how do we actually make our marriage work a bit better with people that are completely different to us? So, yeah, another year. And of course, we moved, we've moved into a new house, which is amazing post lockdown. So we had an absolute house full from about the day before Christmas Eve all the way through New Year. And, uh, and we've actually got another set of or Helen's family coming this weekend for the second Christmas. So Helen, by this stage, as an introvert, is literally on her knees, <laughs> ready to call it a day. The extroverts in the family are like, woohoo, this is what this is what the house was for. So it's uh, another interesting example of uh, how we can be so different. So yet yeah, synergy, creating synergy, not conflict. That's the goal. Well, um, yeah, on that same uh, guardian nurture. So we took on, and many of you know, and Steve, you know this, but we took on a project of converting our original farmstead. Thousand acre farm, uh, two acres of the family farmstead we converted the my grandparents house my grandfather built a house for his wife my grandmother for their wedding we converted oh. that house into the bridal house she created these dog kennels and and we created we turned those in appropriately into the groom's quarters right wow. the dog house and uh and then the the barn the shop we turned into a, a wedding venue a retreat venue so in the last week We've held on New Year's. We held a '70s disco party. It was oh, the first event we had, and amazing. it was unbelievable. And then, then you know, this week I held um, training there. So we built our own training venue, wedding venue. So 
you know, if you know of anyone in England that needs a wedding. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. Just, you see, when people in, in England hear you talk about the family farmstead and we built this and we've got X hundred acres, in England that would make you a member of the aristocracy, Jeremy. You would be oh yeah yeah Lord Lord Kubitschek of Maidenhead or whatever you want to be and well, you know you you'd be invited that round. <laughs> That's a <laughs> is that a lowercase L? Um, no, definitely an uppercase L in there. Uppercase, oh, wow, okay. upper class, it's darling. You know, yeah. So we're all good. But okay. So speaking of let's uh, speaking of upper class, I'll, I'll I'll turn it back to you uh, since you're well, upper you. class. Uh, speaking of upper class, um, you know, you sent me an article. I didn't get to read it because I'm, I'm too cheap to pay for some British subscription. But yeah. um, what what was the uh, what's the state of the union right now? How you doing? Oh well, gosh, this is meant to be an upbeat podcast. I, I think the best thing I can describe is that we have created an entitlement culture that now permeates every aspect of society. So the article was basically saying. In, people forget that Argentina was one of the richest countries in the world in 1960, in the 1960s. But actually, if you assume that you can carry on just living off the past without engaging in the entrepreneurial work ethic culture, which actually got you there, eventually you're going to run out of steam. So I think there is this. I don't think it's. I think it's probably the the the, the kind of the early adopters, very early adopters, who are seeing this at the moment. But I think we're in a really difficult place that we are living beyond our means. We have an expectation of what the state should provide for us, which just grows by the week. And so you have a lot of people on strike. You have a you know, really significant inflation kicking in. And the difficult decisions that leaders are required to make are never going to be popular. And in a sense, you know, whatever you think of COVID, we effectively show people the government could pay for everyone for 18 months to stay at home. And we've we're going to reap the whirlwind of that. So I, I'm I'm hopeful. You've heard me say before, Britain is a very ingenious nation, but we only really ever become truly entrepreneurial and take difficult decisions in famine and war. So either there's an absence of food in the land and money, or we're at war. Britain never tolerates leadership when everything is okay. So Winston Churchill was never elected, if you think about it. And the moment we'd won the war, they got rid of him. Margaret Thatcher came in in the 1970s to deal with a situation which required huge political, basically the willingness to be very, very unpopular. And we're probably one more political cycle away from actually tolerating the famine and brings about change. But it won't be for another seven years. So um, I'm glad I'm a part owner in an American business with you is all I can say. Wow. No, that's so interesting. And I think uh, I think the same thing. Uh, there's so there, there's so much you know social discord here in the United States mm-hmm. still, and with the political, you know, there's a book that uh, we've talked about in the past, but the the storm before the calm by mm-hmm. George Friedman, and yeah. he makes the case that the socioeconomic uh, changes and the government institutional changes are happening at the same time. So he basically predicts that the 20s, the 2020s, are pure chaos. <laughs> and then at the end of this cycle, then there will be proper leadership that will come in and set a new era, kind of like the 80s were, uh, 80s yeah. and 90s yeah. Yeah. Um, in in the U.S. And you can kind of see it happening. It's really fascinating. So, um, yeah, you know, for all of you living, living in that, Happy New Year. 
So here we go. Uh, <laughs> we're we're um, always we're always optimistic. There's always a good thing, but um, yeah. I think the thing is, it's it's the skills of leadership required to lead uphill yeah. are actually different to the skills of leadership leading downhill in terms of economic fortune. And I think that in some ways, um, that leadership is always key. And I think that's why it doesn't seem to matter what's happening in the world or the economy. What people are realizing that the world is changing. And when the world of work is changing, the skills of leadership are having to change. And, you know, in a sense, Giant has been right at the forefront of that. And I'm, you know, that's been part of that exciting adventure for 10 years. But I don't believe what we do is ever going to be not needed. It kind of go, could we get to a point where leadership in our world was of sufficient quality that we could retire? Um, I think it'll probably see us out, Jeremy, that's for sure. No, it's a, you know, lately we've been playing with some marketing language of uh, we solve the people problem. We fix the people problem. I mean, the, in, just playing around, right, with this idea of really there is a people problem in the world and it's never going to not be there. And so there's always an opportunity to help people grow. Well, um, with that, uh, Steve and I, for those listening, Steve and I have uh, created a tool set. Many of you that are listening probably know of it, use it on a daily basis. And the tools are very uh, addictive because they, they're they sticky, they're scalable, but they become part of your own language. And for those of you that have really bought into the giant program and system, you know that how powerful the tools often will say, um, hey, just present the tools, let the tools do the heavy lifting because a tool is like a mirror. It's visual. Uh, it allows you to look at it. It also starts penetrating some areas of improvement that shows you your broccoli in your teeth and gives you the chance to get it out yourself. And that becomes and creates self-awareness. So um, one of the tools that we um, that use, actually Steve created this tool. Um, it's called the 70-30 principle. Um, uh, Cockrum's law as the uh, other uh, <laughs> source code. But the 70-30 principle yeah. uh, was, uh, I want to share this, what happened. Um, I was with an executive uh, working on his New Year's and using the 70-30 and um, so the principle, I want you, Steve, to teach it and share it. And then I'll share, um, I'll share kind of what I exercise I took this, this leader through. So why don't you share what that is? So the 70-30 principle really is, uh, it states this. If you can spend 70% of your time doing the things that come by nature to you are energizing and you can be unconsciously competent at, you'll always have the capacity to spend the other 30% of your time doing the things that are learned behaviors, that are conscious competence. And however much you do them, they will always be draining because you always have to think about what you're doing. So we often say the simplest way of understanding that is if you think of your voice order. So I'm a pioneer, connector, creative, guardian, nurturer. So if I'm doing pioneer and connecting things, that's in my 70%. I, I find them energizing. I can be naturally good at them. I can do them for a long time. The 30% for me is the nurturer guardian type activities and behaviors. Now, remember, I can do all of them. This is not 100 zeros the goal. That's called selfishness. But actually, a lot of our character grows and a lot of our ability to empathize with others grow when we flex and really work on the things which are not natural for us that are in our 30%. However, at any given moment, we ask people, you know, well, what's the balance for you right now? If you look across your leadership, 
how much of your time are you spending doing the things that for you are energizing, life-giving, and you're naturally good at versus the other hand? So some people may say, Steve, I'm 50-50, or some may say, I'm 80-20, everything's awesome at the moment. Others will go, I'm 30-70, and I'm underwater, and I'm drowning. And the, the principle of the 70-30 principle is this. You can't outrun the 70-30 principle forever. If you are 50-50 or less for more than 12 months, what used to be something you love doing has now become a job that is a task that you do with as much enthusiasm as you can, but you'll always begin looking for other outlets, often in other areas of your life, where you can actually, without realizing it, rebalance the 70-30 principle. So there we go. I hope that's um, enough to that give you some <laughs> And so, and so with that, I took that principle, taught that to this executive. I then took, I made it, had to make a list. And on one side, it was the 70% list. What are the things that are in his 70? Now he recognized he was at 50-50. And I asked him if he was trending up to 70-30 or is he trending down into 40-60? And he was like, I don't really know. I don't know how I feel. I go, well, let's do an exercise. So he wrote the 70% on one column, the 30%, the things that are in his unnatural um, on the other column. And that alone was powerful. So for those listening, that would be a great exercise to do right now. Make a 70 and make a 30. Then what I did is I said, now on this list, what do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? Or what do you need to continue to do? Or is there any of this you can delegate? Now, to be fair, that was his homework for us to get together again this next time. Mm -hmm. So I'll find out what the results are um, on what his plan was. But at the very end, I guarantee you his hope meter went up because he started, he told me that. It's like, man, I feel like I have, I feel like I have some control now. I feel like there's some things that I know what to do with. And so I'll find out how it goes on our next uh, session. I love that. And I think it's, for those of you listening, it's such a great exercise to do. And there's lots of things that are good to do at the start of a year, but actually just taking a bit of time and, and going, put your two lists and write the words. Remember what's energizing? What can you be unconscious competently at? What do you really enjoy doing? That's in your 70%. And then what is it that is always consciously competent, is always learned behavior, is always in the end draining if you do it for too long? And I love that exercise. Because I think the thing is the tools allow you to have a sharper focus on how am I doing, why am I doing, but critically as well, give you a chance to say, well, what am I going to, in my 30%, what am I going to stop doing, start doing, continue doing? I love it. Great. Let's everyone, let's everyone do that as part of their new year regimen. Thanks, Jeremy. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you know, we've got the privilege of, uh, of, of having guests, and today we've got uh, a phenomenal guest, uh, a partner of ours and this yep. partner is in the sports world. And so let's bring in Kevin DeShazo. Kevin, what's going on? How you doing, brother? Morning, friends. You there? Yep, sorry, I was on mute. It's this whole like Zoom technology thing is new. We're just trying to figure it out. So someday we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> this is That's the personal, so the cutting edge of That's social right. media trading. Right. So I'm like that is just one. I was thinking that's one heck of a delay we're going to have to do. That's with. right. Just just figuring out technology. So, um, Kevin, for those who don't know Kevin, uh, some a lot of you do know Kevin. Kevin is um, really a fixture in the giant world. He's a partner in the giant world, and he is uh, he runs a company called Better, uh, formerly known as Culture Wins. You can talk about that, but it's really um, the sports 
uh, division. Really, it's a giant in the sports world. And um, we've been working with Kevin for a long time. So, Kevin, why don't you give him a quick update of uh, when did you first? When did we first get connected? And just tell him a little bit more about better. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my my giant origin story, uh, so to speak, goes all the way back to 2005. Uh, my wife uh, worked for Giant. It's called Giant Partners back in the day. Um, she was one of the first employees uh, when they were running it here in Oklahoma City. And we realized that was actually for me to meet Jeremy. That job wasn't for her. It was for Jeremy and I to, to have that connection and build that relationship so that years later, when he was coming back after after you and Steve um, kind of launched G- Giant Worldwide, um, coming back to Oklahoma City, and I was, I was in the sports world working with a lot of coaches and ADs and student athletes, mostly around social media, uh, but really having a lot of conversations around leadership and around culture and, and how do they get better in those areas. And so I saw a massive need and started to get get asked to come speak on these things. And I didn't have didn't have real content, didn't have a system, just had ideas. And in comes Giant saying, we've got content, we've got systems, we've got ideas that work everywhere. And so we started working in, in the sports world. I think this was probably 2015 or so is when when we kind of officially started moving, moving that direction, marrying what I was trying to do with what Giant is already doing, putting that into the sports world. Um, and so over the last you know five, six, seven years, we've been um, really investing in that industry and coaches and athletic directors and administrators and student athletes uh, with the same goal as giant, right? How do we help leaders get healthy? How do we help people unlock their potential um, to create cultures that people want to be a part of that can not have a good year, but have um, many good years, have consistency with their performance. And so we started that it was culture wins. Uh, and then February one, we are rebranding that to be called better um, with the, the simple ideas. We make leaders and teams and organizations better kevin you've been doing um you've you're really a thought leader in the sports world i mean if you look up twitter i mean like good night people know you you're well well known in that industry can you tell us the nuances uh between uh you know you you also have worked with companies and you currently work with businesses as well Mm -hmm. but what are the nuances what are the difference between the coaching world and just the everyday leadership world that most people may not know I think it's it is especially in the college uh, coaching space. It's so complex because it's not just you're a football coach trying to get football players to perform at a higher level so that you can win games. Like that's that's one layer of it. You also have all these regulations that you have to operate within. So the NCAA, right, is kind of the governing board for college sports. So you can't just go get players whenever you want. You can't, you can't teach them, train them however you want. There are certain regulations and how much time you can spend with them. Um, you only get X amount of hours a week to, to prepare them, to invest in them. Um, limits on how big you know your roster can be. You've got this new thing called name, image, and likeness, NIL. Uh, now pay, players, college players can get paid, uh, but the school can't pay them. They get paid by outside services to do commercials, social media posts. Well, that impacts recruiting. Because recruits are now thinking, yeah, I know you can help me win, but how much money am I going to make if I sign with your program? How, how can you help me build my brand, right? University of Miami just, just unveiled their new football facilities, and in it is a personal branding studio. And so now you're trying to think, I'm not just recruiting a football player, I'm recruiting an entrepreneur on, on some level. Uh, and then you've, now you have this thing called the transfer portal. Kids can, can come and go from schools whenever they want. Uh, and so you've seen football programs in the last three weeks lose 30 players of their roster. And so you've got to completely rebuild your roster. 
then you have all these other dynamics of you have you know, just the power dynamics of a, of a football coach, American football at, at, a, at a large institution, they're going to make seven, eight, nine, $10 million a year. Their boss makes $1 million a year. Football drives the revenue for the entire organization and they're making more than their boss, but they're also part of a, of a university. So they've got a board, they've got regents, they've got fans and social media. And so there's just all these complexities that I don't think most industries have to deal with. And then you just add the fact 2023, the last 10 years, social media and the impact that has made on all of this, everything is just more public. Everything adds more pressure um, to their day-to-day -day job. That's incredible. I think for those of the people around the world, you, you really don't understand the scale of basically an athletic football program. I know you, Jeremy, telling me it's like a $300 million business. Yeah. <laughs> to give it in perspective, because anywhere else, college, university, sports doesn't equate to that scale. But having been in America and listening to what you say, the level of complexity to actually lead culture at that level. Mm -hmm. So, Kevin, just dig a little deeper for us and say, as you've been working with these kind of high-end athletic directors and sports coaches, as they've tried to adjust to this kind of the world you've just described, what have been some of the, the places where they've needed the most help from you? What have been some of their real kind of felt needs or pain points that you've been able to, to work with them on? I think understanding people I, and this, this is, this part's not necessarily unique to college sports. This is what, you know, what the three of us and, and anybody in the giant world deal with um, on a daily basis, that the world has been shifting, right? The world of leadership has been shifting. The world of people management has been shifting. And, and this, you know, athletics is, has forever had this very old school mindset of you just show up and do the work, uh, grind it out. I'm the boss. You do what I say. Um, you should be lucky to be here. And that's shifting. You know, you guys were talking mm -hmm. earlier, this culture of entitlement in England. Uh, there's a culture of entitlement, I think, everywhere, right? Because you, you think these 18-year-old these kids who are coming on campus, you've, you've recruited them, you've brought them in, you've paid thousands of dollars for meals, you've put them in Ferraris, done these fancy photo shoots, told them, you're the best, you're amazing, I need you, you're going to change everything, you're going to be such a big difference in our program. And they've got 20 coaches telling them that and, and treating them that way. They've been the king of their school. They've been the king of their parents' lives. Um, so they've just been supported, 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 supported without any real challenge or accountability. And then they come on campus like, well, why am I not playing? You, you told me I was going to be big man on campus and I'm, I'm, I'm not playing. What did you lie to me? And, and so there's this entitlement uh, that we've, that we've created, right. By, by the way that we've treated people. And, so coaches and leaders are having to understand that shift. Like, okay, how do we recruit on purpose? Um, how do we, how do we set clear expectations without costing us a chance at, at getting uh, one of these top players, but also realizing that, that people are different. You can't treat every kid the same and expect to get the same results. And that's always been true. They're just now realizing that. And just now mm -hmm. thinking about that of, Oh, if I want to get the best out of this kid, I've got to, I've got to know his voice. I've got to know his, his motivations. I've got to know his story. I've got to know what he needs in order to unlock him. That's actually my job as a leader the, the, the football part of it or the basketball part of it or the baseball part of it, like the X's and O's are the easy part of the job. Uh, it's, it's the people activation that, that leaders in college sports um, over the last few years are just starting to come around to like, Oh, we've got to operate with a completely different mindset. I was going to ask one more for me is it, I think what's interesting is we always say that basically leadership of large complex organizations is pretty much the same for most of it. Mm -hmm. What you described there though, was in terms of the complexities of the stakeholder 
relationship management. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of any of the other sectors we're working in at the moment. I can't think of any that are quite as complex as the dynamics that you've just described as it relates to particularly those key athletic directors. Is that true or is that kind of, you know, I'm thinking, gosh, having somebody to walk with and process and think out loud when effectively I imagine you're almost God on campus when you're the the chief of the football team. Yeah, There's no bigger job, really. No, and it's it's a huge point because they, one, there's all those things that I just mentioned, but you still have the pressure to win. Right. Like at the end of the day, you still have to win games or your job is on the line. And so there's this pressure of like, you know, performance and results at the highest level. But do we have time to to like actually understand our people and who they are, what they, to build a culture that's sustainable? Because it's such an impatient culture. You see coaches who will get fired uh, one to two years in. And it's interesting because that's that's not normal in American sports in the Premier League. Like that's somewhat normal, right? But that's professional sports. It's a little bit, little bit different game. Um, but in, in America, like if you don't, if you're not performing, you know, you could be, you could be gone in a heart and it could be, uh, maybe you don't have a good relationship with the board of regents or with key donors. Like these, these mm-hmm. outside investors have, have such influence. Um, if you're not winning it, at, at, you know, fast enough, or if you just said the wrong thing or didn't build the right relationship, I mean, they can, they can cut you out pretty quick. And it's, so there's, there's just this immense level of pressure. Those are those dynamics. Yeah, and it's it's intense. Mm-hmm. And then to your point, yeah, they don't they don't have accountability. They don't have people to process with like like us. Most coaches don't. And so, I, I get the privilege of working with Kevin on on this as well. But the what, there's a a meta map. If you take, we've created a map where you can look over an athletic director or a coach. And we look above the line, all the things they have to manage, and then below the line. And above the line would be things like the Board of Regents, NIL, uh, conference realignment, mm-hmm. key donors, social media, Congress, fan base, yeah. uh, the complexities, Congress, uh, just the complexities of all that. Then below the line is all of their coaches. Um, these athletic directors, they'll have between 20 and 28 programs they're running. And they have then coaching coaches and the only ones that really make money are football, maybe basketball, but primarily football. Then the rest of them are being subsidized because you have to have an equal number of women's sports as you do men. So the reason they have so many sports is because they have you you have Title IX. So you have to have women um, and men to have the same amount of athletes. And so football is only men at this point, right? So therefore, the the just the the complexity. Yeah. Like you said, it was just, it's unbelievable. Kevin, why don't you share, um, what's an innovation? The maps are one of them, Mm -hmm. but what's an innovation? I'm thinking of Five Voices Recruiting, or I'm thinking of any other innovations that you can think of that you're doing that would be so unique to the athletic world. Yeah, I think two that that come to mind. One, you mentioned Five Voices for Recruiting. So if you're listening to this, if if you're familiar with the giant world, you understand Five Voices. And and recruiting in college athletics is a 24-7, 365 game. I mean, it, on some level, it is the lifeblood of a program because uh, you, your your future depends on getting the best athletes into your program, and then you trust your development system to to unlock them. And so much of it is um, quantity of communication, right? Constantly texting this kid, these kids, barraging them on social media with messages, um, always texting their parents, and you're just you're just throwing as much as you can against a wall and hoping that it fits. 
And so we've developed a system called Five Voices for Recruiting. So you can have, have these, these players walk through five voices, take the assessment, have their parents take it. Well, then you know, okay, this, this nurturer, you, you don't need to sell him or her on championships. They want to win, right? They're competitive, but they're going to be more concerned with the relationships on the team. How's the culture? Do the, do the guys, do they hang out? Um, does the team spend time together? Um, Pioneer, they don't really care that much to hear about the team culture, right? And how, and how connected people are like, Hey, how are you going to help make me a champion? Well, you may have a, uh, a, mm -hmm. a pioneer kid and a nurturer mom. Well, you sell the kid on championships and you're selling the mom like, Hey, here's how we're going to take care of your son. Here's how we're going to take him from a boy to a man over the next three to four years. Here's our system. Here's our process uh, for how we're going to take care of them. So when you can give them the messages that they need, the messages that they connect one, you build a, a quicker relationship and quicker trust and quicker influence, but you're actually giving the kid what they need um, and what they're interested in in order to get them to essentially buy and buy into your program, right? You're selling, you want them to buy, buy your system, buy your program. So we're trying to help coaches be more efficient uh, in their recruiting, which just takes a lot of time off of their plate. And the other innovation that we're about to launch, we've developed what we call the elite athlete index. And so if you think what, what makes an athlete elite, well, typically because coaches and leaders are busy, like, uh, he just doesn't get it. Uh, he's not really bought in. And we, we move, we either, we, we kind of dismiss them, we disengage with them, and then, then they enter the transfer portal because they weren't invested in. Well, we want to say, well, like, why are they not elite? Why are they not bought in? Like, what's, what's actually happening? And so we've, we've kind of framed it around mind, body, and soul. You know, mentally, are they self-aware? Do they know how to handle pressure? Can they, can they operate within their role? Um, can they handle the stress of life? Is school a burden on them? Um, from a physical standpoint, are they in the weight room? following, following their, their strength plan, uh, their nutrition plan. Are they consistent with that? Uh, are they working on their skill set for their actual position? If you're a quarterback or, or an offensive lineman or a point guard, like, are you doing the things to get better in your position? And from a soul perspective, like, are they a cultural fit for the program? Uh, are they on the team or are they actually engaged with the team? Are they just, are they just there and they show up at practice and they're in the room or are they an active member of the team? Are, are they passionate? Um, are they positive? Well, we can assess those things. We can give it, give a kid and the kid can assess themselves while their coach also assesses them say, Oh, this kid's 78% elite. Oh, but it's not, it's not what we thought. It's actually, there's a lot of stuff going on at home and he's 18, 19 years old. Doesn't know how to deal with that stress. Okay. Well, he needs to talk to this person on campus. Maybe, maybe it's a counselor um, or whatever. Well, once that gets addressed and he, and that pressure kind of releases and, and he gets better at handling stress, well, then all of a sudden he's going to be more engaged in the weight room and then he's going to be more consistent with the nutrition plan. And then he's going to be a more engaged member of the team. And so his elite score goes up, which allows them to perform at a higher, higher level. So for us to be able to help coaches kind of diagnose and assess and then act on, on what's actually holding a kid back instead of just saying, ah, eh, they just don't get it. They're just not bought in. Well, it's always deeper than that. And, and the beauty of that is it's usually not going to be the coach's responsibility to help fix it. Right. It could be an academic advisor, it could be a counselor, um, could be could be us, could be a mental coach. Um, but it but it's taking the burden off the coach in order to actually give the kid what they need to to improve. Love it. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, uh, it's so, so fun to hear um just the innovations of how you take things and again back to the nuances. It's different inside uh, the military, inside uh sports or law enforcement or you know, nursing. You have to apply uh, this differently. Mm -hmm. So sure. Appreciate you, yeah. man. Um, thanks for coming.
We'll see you next yeah, time. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Absolutely. Um, That's so cool. Uh, isn't that neat? Kind of a, we're allowed the odd reminisce, aren't we, when you get slightly older? We're, we're coming up for our, we're going to milk the 10th anniversary for a very, very long time. So just so you're aware. But you remember I, I, when I listened to Kevin, listen to what you speak and thinking, we said in the beginning that we wanted to raise up liberating leaders to change their leadership culture in every major city and sector in the world. And it always takes longer um, than you would wish in the beginning. But I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear Kevin talk about the way that they've taken the giant tools and they've enculturated them and applied them and created, in many ways, ways in which the sports sphere and sector can use them. We're hearing that so much, aren't we, that people, whether it's construction industry, the education industry, government's politics, it's amazing when we created the tools to be multipliable and ultimately we wanted to empower other people to go way beyond what we've done to be able to take those things and make them real. So I know we've got a long way to go, but there's the sort of thing of thinking you can see how this is beginning to ripple out and that we cheer and we play our founders' roles, but ultimately there are a lot of people on the ground doing amazing things. So, Kevin, thanks for sharing. That was hugely encouraging to me anyway and informative. I don't think I had any comprehension how complex an American football team is. Oh, my goodness. And, and it's, it's the American uh, uh, college athletic system. Yeah. So yeah. it's not just football. It's every no, sport. Yeah. But football is the biggest one and it has yeah, the yeah. most moving parts. Um, yeah. But it's it's radically transforming right now. In fact, a lot of what most likely is going to happen will look more like the Premier League in soccer yes. than yeah. the traditional uh, university. It's almost like minor league sports. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's good and bad. And there's a lot of bad. <laughs> so oh, cool. um, anyway, so final let's, any final yeah, thoughts for us, Jess? Yeah. So the final thoughts are really, you know, if you're, you know, this is going to be a connector final thought here. If this is the kind of stuff that connects with you, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my goodness, yes, this is good. I love this. It's it's innovation. It's ingenuity. It's we've basically built a ecosystem where we invite people into play and we do it in a way that's very low cost and it's not weird it's just, it's community. And we basically created a system where if you want to be a coach or a consultant, or you are adding giant to your world, or if you know of someone who's doing coaching or consulting, they can add giant to what they're already doing. It's not, you don't have to trade everything that you've done. It's just adding. Or on the other side, if you want to, you know, have, if you want to actually bring this system into your organization, we have something called a catalyst where, you actually can get certified if you're a team leader or a HR leader or someone who's over leadership, you get trained to actually implement the system inside your business to help you scale. So it's really simple. It's giantworldwide.com. You can go take a look at it. And there's um, a lot that we're doing to innovate and make it simpler and easier for people to uh, multiply and scale healthy leaders. That's my final thought as a connector. I just want people to know like, you know, mm-hmm. if you're if this is your year, let's go. Come join us. We have about I don't know over eight hundred um, coaches and consultants. We have hundreds of catalysts. We'll probably be in the thousands of range over the next couple of years with that group. Those are my final thoughts. How about you, Steve? I love it. I think I had one half final thought, didn't I? Really, but I think that everything you realize is the world is more and more complex, 
And I think those issues of stakeholder management and dealing with an entitled culture growing up are not unique to any sphere, apparently in any in the Western world. And I think that's the reason why, you know, leaders of a particular age, and they're now our age, Jeremy, that, you know, you used to say that the primary years of influence are 50 to 70. Um, it's amazing how many people in that generation are having to learn to be retooled for the world that is now here rather than even the world that was coming. And I think the ability to understand people and, you know, to be a person who's able to calibrate support and challenge in a way that's unique and empowering and liberating to each individual is no longer going to be a, well, the nice to have. It's actually become a prerequisite for anyone who's going to lead, I believe, at any level of significance into the future. And if you just about get away with it before your retirement, you're very lucky. But for the rest of us and anyone below than us, this is the new world of leadership. And you will not get away with that toolkit that allows you to create that calibration of support challenge. So, yeah, there we go. That's a pioneer challenge with a little bit of love. There we go. I love it. I love it. Well, friends, uh, good to be with you. Thank you for um, just being a friend and we wish you the best in 2023. Let's make it a great year. And until next time, we'll see you then. Cheers. Bye-bye. If you're looking for a speaker for your next event, whether live or remote, Jeremy Kubitschek speaks to audiences all over the world. Jeremy is a best-selling author, international speaker, and co-founder of Giant Worldwide. He has started over 20 companies while living in Oklahoma City, Moscow, Atlanta, and London. Whether you're looking to impact your executive team, your entire organization, or if you're hosting a public event, go to jeremykubitschek.com to learn more.